I did want to remind you again um, that next, this upcoming weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Thursday evening through Sunday afternoon, another spiritual impact weekend, uh, Gary Lundberg said, told me that there are going to be 15 men from the outside, just men from the community coming into the jail, and uh, 32 uh, inmates are signed up to participate, and uh, we long for a a lasting impact upon those in the jail. And it has made an impact. Gary sent me a, a little story I wanted to read for you here this morning about a, uh, something a chaplain uh, told him at the last training session they had. They've been meeting together for weeks before they come into uh, this weekend. And the chaplain said this. He said, uh, a former county jail graduate named Alfred gave his heart to Christ through the witness of another inmate in Rockford. And he went through all the discipleship classes pre-COVID, and he also attended the Spiritual Impact Weekend Retreat several times. He'd been a leader in a local gang and had a lifelong history of crime. And he said, I I met him back then, had a wonderful fellowship as we talked about the Lord. Afterwards, he was transferred to the Statesville Prison in Joliet to complete his sentence. The State of Illinois Records Department made a mistake that did not give him credit for some of his time in the county jail to be applied to his total sentence, so he was stuck there a little bit longer than he should have been. And he wrote back to the chaplain asking for prayer and encouragement to get released. In the meantime, he sat in his cell and prayed and sang worship songs that he learned in the Winnebago County Jail. And other inmates heard him singing in his cell and began to yell at him and mock God through the locked door, and some inmates went so far as to urinate at the base of his cell door, which flowed then into his cell, and others smeared feces on the door of his cell. Alfred responded by continuing to worship God and reading God's Word, and about two weeks later, the state finally corrected their error, and he was released, and he he could only have overcome that kind of pressure uh, and abuse by the power and the grace of God. And then Gary writes, much of our teaching and discipleship is focused on spiritual preparation for trusting God for power to love their enemies, to be faithful during persecution and the loneliness in state and federal prisons. And uh, that sounds a lot like our our text this morning. It is really an appropriate place because jails can be uh, strategic places for the gospel when people are broken. And they're bound and incarcerated, really thinking about the direction of their lives. It's a time where God would, could use in, in a great way. And in fact, he, he did that in our text this morning. And uh, as we come to our text, we also are going to jail. We're going to a jail not in Winnebago County, but we're going to a jail in Philippi, where ministry is taking place not over a weekend, but over a single night. And God is at work. Um, and, and that work we have recorded for us in the Scriptures in Acts chapter 16, so you can open your Bibles there. If, if you want to, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous stories contained in the book of Acts. It's the story of the, the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And in this instance, it's not those on the outside coming in bringing the gospel to the inmates. Rather, it's the inmates who are inside who are bringing the gospel to the one on the outside. So, so listen as I read. We're going to begin at verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So these things, as I have said, take place in Philippi. We've been the last few weeks in the study of our book of Acts, right? And here's, here's the map right there on the screen. Just want to pound it into you that they were sent out from Antioch. That is, Paul and Silas were on Paul's second missionary journey to, to visit the brothers in southern Galatia to see how they were doing. And, and so they visited the brothers in, in Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and uh, Antioch. And along the way, they, they picked up Timothy and, and eventually then they went north, west to Troas along the sea. They picked up Luke at some point. They crossed the Aegean Sea, got to Neapolis, the coast, and walked about 10 miles north and they got to Philippi in Macedonia. And while in Philippi, Luke tells us of three people they met. The first they met, Lydia. She, they met her down at the place of prayer, down by the river. And the Lord opened her heart to believe the gospel, the first convert in Europe and the first believer there in Philippi. And then the second, the missionary team encountered a demon-possessed slave girl. Through the power of Jesus Christ, Paul commanded that demon and it came out of the girl. And we can only assume then that she followed after the Lord. But her her owners were angered that their hope of of gain was gone because they're making money from this this girl because she could foretell the future or she could con people into that somehow. And so they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And rather than being just and holding a just trial, they ordered them to be beaten with rods. And many blows were upon them and then they were thrown into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safely. And then the jailer put them in the inner prison, fastened them Uh, Fasten their feet in stocks. And now the Philippian jailer becomes our third encounter that Luke focuses upon his time in Philippi. And and this man's different than Lydia and the slave girl. Obvious difference, first of all, is that he's a a man, right? Rather than a, a, a woman. He's probably an older man. Those in charge of jails in those days were probably Roman soldiers who were retired. And certainly a retired Roman soldier would have been hardened from all the things that he saw during his days as a soldier. And yet his life, as hard as he was, was changed 
when he asked this simple question in verse 30. It is the central question of our text. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the answer comes back, believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the gospel, right? Church family, what do I need to do to be saved? Tell me. Believe in the Lord Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. It's simple as that. I'm not saved by good works. I'm not saved by ceremonies. I'm not saved by creeds I can recite or verses I can memorize or not saved because I go to church, have Christian parents or or have a grandpa who served as a, a pastor. No, you're saved by believing in the Lord Jesus. And that's it. But simply by trusting in Him. That's what belief means. Belief means trust. It's not just some intellectual thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a leaning upon Him, entrusting your whole life to Him, realizing that He died for your sins at Calvary. Trusting that Jesus rose from the dead. Trusting that Jesus indeed is Lord of the universe. He rules over all kings and all rulers and all authorities, whether it's in Russia or Ukraine or the United States, Jesus Christ is king over them all. It's really that simple, right? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Are you saved? It's the title of my message this morning. It's just this. Are you saved? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? So I just want to pound this question into us because it is, I think, the central idea that comes out of this text. And it's even more simple than... than um, how, how may I be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the only way you can be saved. Earlier in Acts, we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Right? See, there are times in life when there are so many choices, you're at a standstill. I, I think about the little girl who goes to uh, Baskin Robbins, which has 31 flavors, and she has an opportunity to get an ice cream cone, and she's, she's there looking in and and she's looking at all the flavors, and she's thinking about them. What's her problem? She can't figure out which one to have, because she only gets one. It's not so with salvation. There's only one way to be saved. It's through the Lord Jesus. I'm thinking about the mom who's who's got four kids at home, and, and there's dinner to be made, and there is a school to be done, perhaps. And there's a house that needs to be vacuumed places, bedrooms need to be cleaned, clothes need to be washed, all overwhelming and feels like, right, you feel like nothing gets done because there's so many things to get done. So I I love traveling because it's really joyful feeling for me to know, okay, I'm going to travel today, I'm going to drive from here to here and I exist today to travel and so all I need to do is get from here to there and if I do that, then I've had a, a good and profitable and successful day, like one thing. And so likewise, when it comes to salvation, there's only one way. It's believing in the Lord Jesus. Not like there are many religions out there from which you can choose and just say, here, try that. And so you need to try to figure out which one would be the best for you. As if um, you're thinking about, well, let me try to be a good Muslim. Let me see if that works for you. And then maybe when that doesn't work for you, you're like, well, maybe I'll try Zen Buddhism. And you start meditating for a while. You try, try that. And that's that's not working so well. And so you said, well, I'm going to follow the stars and, and see if that works. And maybe after that doesn't work, then you said, well, I'm just going to look into my inner self and see what my inner spirit tells me to do. Listen, you don't need to go down any of those roads. Uh, all those roads are dead end. Right? They end when you're dead. So you don't need to go those ways. All you need to do is one way, believe in the Lord Jesus 
and you will be saved. Are you saved? I had a conversation um, with a man this week who grew up in church, grew up in a, a good church, but today he's far from God. And I asked him a little bit about church. He used to go almost every Sunday. He doesn't go now. And I said, well, why, why don't you go to church? He said, well, a couple of reasons. He said, I used to go to church with my friends, um, but, but moving away, it distanced me. So I don't really have those friends anymore to, to bring me there. He says, also, my, my job takes me away, so it's hard to be concerned. And then COVID hit. And then, um, well, uh, and he's kind of stammering. And I said, um, you mean you don't believe? He said, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the crowning reason why anyone would not go to church, right? If you don't believe, right, there's no reason even to come to church. In fact, this is the reality of many people, right? Been exposed to the gospel, maybe grown up in church, been involved, been hear the word of God, but then they drift away and, and fundamentally, right, they don't believe. And if they don't believe, there's no reason to come to church. But listen, just because you're in church doesn't mean that you're, you're saved either, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus. And so, church family, let's, let's just hear it again. Acts thirteen thirty eight. Paul says, Let it be known to you that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You're going to be saved from your sin? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Experience His forgiveness. Now, really, if you say, do you believe in Jesus? Are you saved? Really, there's three answers to that question. The, the first answer is this. So, yes, I'm saved. Right? Genuinely trusting Christ in every way. That's wonderful. But there might be another answer to that question. It might be this. No, I'm not, but I'm seeking salvation. I, I'm seeking to understand and embrace and see what it, what it really means. That's a, a second answer. And a third que- answer is really, no, I'm not saved and I don't really care. Even I had another conversation with another gentleman this week who, who grew up in church and now he, he's older. He's almost retired. And I, I don't even know what he does. I didn't get around to that, but I talked to him and he he grew up in this church. He now lives in Love's Park. And so I told him about where the, the church is. And, and he said, yeah, church used to be a big thing in my life. I said, what about today? No, not at all. And he's kind of left it at that. Um, but it's not. He's not seeking really, doesn't really care. In our text this morning, we're going to see these three types of people. We're going to see those who are saved. And they're going to demonstrate their salvation by their actions. We're going to see those who aren't saved but then are seeking salvation and ultimately are saved. And then we find those who aren't saved and who want nothing to do with Jesus. Instead, they want to keep life at a status quo. And they really the application of text this morning is to identify what sort of person are you. Are, are you saved? Are you seeking? Are you really not, not so interested? Well, let's look at my first point this morning. I'm simply calling it the saved. It verses 25 and 26 describe what, what Paul and Silas were, were doing in jail. And what they were doing in jail demonstrates that they indeed were saved people, believers in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 25. It says this, After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, this is really an amazing verse if you realize just what, what's been happening uh, to these men. They've been milling around Philippi, preaching the gospel, right? Their favorite place was down by the river where there's a place of prayer, and through the preaching, through their preaching, Lydia, this respectable seller of purple fabrics, was saved. And through their preaching, this abused girl was, was freed from her demon, right? And this is the very thing that got them in trouble. They were beaten badly, placed in, the, in the, the prison with wounds on their backs, still bleeding probably, into the deep inner prison, placed their feet in stocks, which was most uncomfortable. And here they were, praying and singing hymns to God. What weren't they doing? 
They weren't complaining. Okay? They weren't crying out the injustice done to them. They weren't stewing because of their terrible circumstances. And you've got to ask yourself, how could they do this? Like, if that happened to you, if you were at work and whatever, you spoke the gospel to someone and someone came to Christ and, and your boss came and said, you cannot share the gospel here and threw you, beat you and threw you in prison, do you think you would complain? You think that you would maybe cry out at the injustice? I think you would. <laughs> at least I would. Maybe you're different than me. Maybe uh, I would be complaining, right? I just, I just know that. But Paul would later write to the Philippians to give a perspective, right? These are the same people to which he would later write. He said, Philippians chapter 1, 29, For to you it has been granted for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but that you should, who knows it, suffer for His sake. That's what God has given us. He's given us faith. It's been granted to you to believe in Him. And He's also given us suffering for His sake. For to you it has been granted... That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. And without doubt, Paul and Silas were suffering for His sake. It's because of the gospel they were in jail. They freed this girl from this demon through the name of the Lord Jesus and found themselves in prison. But that's exactly what they knew they were called for. We're called to suffer. To suffer. And so think about these infant churches in Lystra and Derbe and Antioch and, and Iconium. Do you remember when Paul, uh, eventually he, he, he evangelized them and when he came back through, you remember his encouragement to them? He was trying to encourage them, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, verse 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they were in Philippi, they merely faced some of those tribulations. But they were expecting it. And too many people, when the gospel comes, are sold a bill of goods. They hear, right, you believe in Jesus and, and everything's going to be made well. Whether it's health, wealth, and prosperity, or whether it's, right, good things are going to happen with your marriage, or good things are going to happen, right, your job, and it just everything's going to be good, right? And people then come to Jesus with this expectation. But Paul, when he spoke to people at his church, whatever, the churches that he founded, He said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. See, the path to the kingdom of God goes through the forest of many tribulations. And so Paul and and Silas weren't caught off guard. That's why they could pray, and that's why they could even sing. Maybe they heard the story of Peter and John when they were in Jerusalem, had been beaten for preaching Jesus And their testimony, Acts 5, verse 41, is that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. When Peter and John were beaten, they were filled with joy because they knew that they shared the sufferings of Christ. Maybe that story was in their minds as they sang hymns to God. But here they were singing. What do you think they were singing? They sang hymns to God. They're probably singing the Psalms. I don't know who said that, but that's exactly what what I was going to say. They're probably singing the Psalms. Um, Now, we don't know what Psalms, but it was the inspired hymn book of the Jews. And they sang the songs often. Maybe they've been singing songs of deliverance. Psalm 118, 
Verse 5 and 6. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Maybe they sang that. Now, it's interesting that we, we know some of the words they sang probably from the Psalms. We don't know their tunes or, or which ones. But would we be able to go back there and be able to understand their Hebrew? They may have sung a song from Psalm 118. Or, or maybe they sang a simple chorus of hope. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord hold is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Or maybe this praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Maybe Psalm, 130, Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Maybe they were singing that. Maybe they were praying those things. They were praying the songs, uh, the Psalms for deliverance. Oh God, preserve me. I called you. You answered me. In my trouble I cried to the Lord and He answered me. Psalm 120 verse 1. We don't know, but these sorts of things is, is what they were, were, uh, were singing and rejoicing in. And, and it's interesting that Paul was merely following his same counsel that he would later write to the Philippians in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Even when suffering unjustly in jail, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. In fact, even in, 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 uh, in, in Philippians 1, Verse 29, to us have been granted not only to believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. He then says in verse 30, how, how you saw my suffering, and now you hear how my suffering is. Like, like, He spoke with credibility when He would write later to the Philippians. And so when He said, rejoice and Lord always, and again I say rejoice, that's exactly what He did, even when it was hard and difficult. Because He knew that it would make an impact. And do you notice the subtle words of verse 25? It says, the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening. The prisoners were listening to them not complain or express their grievances, listening to them seeking the Lord. And again, Paul wrote later to the Philippians. He said this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Philippians 2.14. You know why he tells us to do all things without grumbling or disputing? Philippians 2.15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, crooked and twisted generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. And as they were unjustly condemned in that prison cell, and they weren't complaining or disputing or arguing, they were lights in the midst of a dark world. And in that dark jail cell, they were lights shining in the darkness. The prisoners were listening to them, taking notice of their sufferings. Because listen, it's, it's unusual to have joy in your sufferings. It's unusual to have this commitment to praise God even when things are difficult and dark. And when you do that, people, especially unbelievers, take notice. See, it's one thing to praise God when things go well. Right? When your family is well, your house is well, your job's going well, right? You're saving for the future, your, your IRA is building, right? You just bought your car, right? Things are going well. Yeah, praise the Lord, Right? And, and sometimes people can see that and say, okay, well, good for you. But it's when things are going bad that others will notice. That's the power of the end of Habakkuk. God delivers them bad news. These Chaldeans are going to come up and destroy you. 
And the end of Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And that's similar. Paul and Silas are in the jail. It's bad. Right? No fruit in the fields. No cattle in the stalls. Right? They've been be- Yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. See, it's one thing for a professional athlete who just won the championship game to be interviewed by the reporter. Uh, hey, what, what were you feeling? What are you feeling right now? Right? They just won the game, and there's ticker tape all around. And the interviewer comes, and, and the and the the athlete says, first, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you, right, I'm really thankful for this. Da, 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 da. And I'm thankful for that testimony, right? It's good that this person is proclaiming his trust in Jesus. But kind of what comes across at that moment, I think even for an unbeliever, is like, of course that guy's thankful. He just won the championship, right? And I think I'd be thankful to God, too, if I won the championship. Like, that's, that's my same emotion. But it's another thing when you lose your job. And you gather your family around you, your, your wife and your children, and say, you know what, I've been fired. And we don't know what kind of job is next. But I trust, Philippians 4, verse 19, my God will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And children, let's just trust the Lord in this circumstance. That's going to make the impact. When you're suffering and you, and you do that, It's another thing when a child dies in a a car crash and you can say with Job, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through tears and anguish and sorrow, just saying, I'm going to trust the Lord even through these hard times. Or as we have witnessed, it's another thing yet to be diagnosed with cancer that may well take your life, to stand and sing, whatever my God ordains is right. He will never deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know He will not leave me. I take content what He hath sent. His hand can turn my griefs away and patiently I wait His day. That makes an impact, friends. That gets the attention of people and it got the attention of prisoners who are listening to Paul and Silas. And it got the attention of the, the jailer as well as really the, the second type of person that we saw. We've seen the, the saved Right, those believing and trusting in Jesus, and now we turn to my second point. Right, we're going to get the seeking. Right, turn back to verse twenty-six. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And here's the, the focus is going to turn now to the jailer, right, who was seeking, not not seeking for long, but he's going to seek. Right, what must I do to be saved? That's a great question. And so they had this earthquake, which is beginning to stir in him a, a seeking of something greater. Now, we in the Midwest, we're, we're not so familiar with earthquakes. They don't happen very often, right? But those who live in, in California, right, well, I've lived for a few years where Vaughn grew up. And Ramazines, do you guys feel an earthquake when you're in California? No, you didn't, huh? You're expecting and hoping to. Well, I know when I was in California, I was hoping to experience an earthquake, and I did. And I remember living with my roommates and just telling them, I'm in California, I want to experience an earthquake. And then one day I was at home studying, and uh, and uh, I was the only one there. And then there was an earthquake, and I ran underneath the, the door frame like that, and then suddenly the phone rang. 
and uh, with one of my roommates said, welcome to California, Steve. <laughs> and so um, we know about earthquakes. Yvonne had a bunch of earthquakes she had uh, growing up, and, and one special earthquake happened on our wedding night. About four in the morning, the earthquake shook. And, um, but that's a story for another time I can, I can tell you about that. But I feel it was God's confirmation upon our wedding, so in their marriage. That's what I can interpret it as. So fun, fun thing that's silly, but I, I think it is because, right, we honeymooned right near the epicenter of where it was. And, uh, we had this house, in this honeymoon, we, we had, uh, like, our house was like on this cliff, and so the house was over the cliff, and then this cliff, probably these 15 foot, like, pillars were up there, so we're kind of on the stilts like that, and several aftershocks hit us that next week, and I think it was God saying, this marriage is a good thing, this marriage is a good thing, so that's what I, what I think. But anyway, I've never experienced an earthquake this severe, that all the locked doors swung open. I mean, I know that in severe earthquakes, cabinet doors fly open and dishes fall, and they break, so much so that those in California will put small latches uh, on their cabinet doors so that the dishes, just during an earthquake, like, won't fall out. Have you seen any friends like that in California? Okay. Your parents, they do have that? They have, okay. So I guess I've never been that observant. So they want the dishes like falling out look next time. <laughs> but these latches are enough to stop an earthquake. But that's the point. These little latches can stop the doors from being opened in an earthquake. It must have been quite an earthquake to have large locked doors to keep prisoners in, right, that were opened. I think this was a sovereign earthquake it shook in special ways so the doors and the bonds that held the prisoners were, were all opened. And I think it's beginning to work on the heart of the jailer. The jailer initially thought it was bad news because his life was at stake. You remember in Acts chapter 12 when the angel came into the prison cell, woke Peter up and led him out of the, the prison, the guard, and, and put him onto the street? You remember what happened to the sentries after Peter escaped? Kids, you remember what happened to them? They're put to death. That's what happened in those days. If you had a prisoner and you, you were the, the guard and you did not keep them secure, it was your life for theirs. And so that's what made this, uh, this jailer scared. The same fate would, would come upon him if these prisoners ever escaped. That's why we read in verse 27, when, this jailer, when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. The jailer figured out it was better to die on his own terms than to die at the hands of the state. But Paul stopped him, verse 28. Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now it's probably the case that the prisoner was, that the jailer was outside where it was a little bit lighter, and, and the prison was a dark place. And, and kids, you know that when there's a dark place and a light place, if you're in the light place, you can't see very well in the dark place. But if you're in the dark place, you can see pretty well in the light place. And the prisoner was in the light, the gar, jailer was in the light place. He couldn't see what was going on. But Paul could see everything that was, was going on. He said, we're all here. That, by the way, is really a second miracle. That all the prisoners were free to leave. Their bonds were broken. They were, they were said they could have walked out, but they, they stayed. I can understand why Paul and Silas stayed. They knew that they were in the right. They had nothing to hide. But not so others in the jail. Perhaps there were some thieves in the jail. Perhaps there were some murderers in the jail. They had every reason to leave, but they, they didn't. And we might ask why. And perhaps 
Paul and Silas' action, the actions of the saved people who were worshiping God even in the midst of difficult circumstances, maybe, maybe that caused them to be intrigued. Maybe Paul begged them to stay. We don't know. But anyway, I think it was a miracle that their hearts were soft that compelled the, the prisoners to remain in the jail through the sovereign hand of God. And then we see the, the jailer's response in verse 29. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. He wanted to see and trembling, it says, with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, shocked that the prisoners were still in the jail. And I don't think it was lost on him that they all remained put, how the the prisoners didn't run. And he then became scared. I mean, he should have been scared if they left, but now they're here and now he's, he's he's fearful. It says again in verse 29, he's trembling with fear like, like something strange happened. You know, it's a little bit like the disciples in the boat. Um, you know, when, when they were scared of the, the storms. And then they said, Jesus, we're about to seek, sink. And Jesus, when he rebuked the wind and the waves and, and, and everything stood still, it's then that they really were afraid. Not of the storm, but they're all of a sudden afraid of the man in the boat. And so likewise, the, the jailer initially was afraid that everyone was going to leave. It cost him a death. But the fact that they were there caused him to tremble with, with great fear. And I think it's this point that he began really seeking because he knew he needed help. He knew he needed saving. He knew something wasn't quite right. And so he took Paul and Silas out of the jail, out of the cell, and it seems like he brought him into his house. And uh, he probably lived right there on the grounds where the jail was, uh, just so he could respond in a moment's notice to problems in the jail. And he was asked the central question of our text. Verse 30, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, in all fairness, this jailer may have asked an earthly question. In other words, what must I do to be delivered from this mess I'm in? Right? This earthquake has come, and it really has come a threat to my life, and I don't know what to do. These prisoners could leave right now. Can, can you help me? What, what can I do to save my life? He, he could have been asking that question, but Paul went right towards the spiritual answer. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And at this then... After this, some conversation followed. If you look in verse 32, it says, They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now at this point, I think there's a fuller explanation of the gospel. Right? When Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm I'm not sure that this man had a lot of context. I mean, he wasn't Jewish. He was certainly Roman. Um, He was certainly secular. Um, probably there was no synagogue in Philippi. There weren't a lot of Jews around. His familiarity with the Hebrew Scripture was was minimal at best, if any at all. Yet he knew that there was something special about Paul because he knew about this this, uh, demon-possessed slave girl that that she'd been freed, that she'd been saved, if you will. And, And he knew a little bit about the charge brought against him, that he was disturbing the city, not by force or being mad, but simply by this gospel that was was coming and people were believing in this. And so he knew that there was something about this message. And so he was really seeking. He was seeking salvation. He needs something is what he was seeking. And and surely then in this conversation when when Paul was in his home, clarifying things in verse 32, speaking the word of the Lord to him and all is on his house, he was speaking about some context. Okay, let's believe in the Lord Jesus, you'd be saved. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, as prophesied. He he raised in Nazareth, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. 
And he fulfilled the scriptures. There were many that he filled. He he was what the Jews called the Messiah. He was the one coming to save. And yet they turned against him, set him to death on a cross. But he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And, And if you, Mr. Jailer, believe in him, you receive forgiveness of sins. And Mrs. Jailer, if you believe in him, you receive forgiveness of sins. And whoever else was in that household. Whatever children there, if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. You'll be made right with God. Now, we know the conversation didn't last long. We know it lasted less than an hour. Look at verse 33. It says this. And he took them the same hour of the night, which, by the way, is past midnight. We're we're talking this is maybe 2 or 3 in the morning. He he took them now um, the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. That hour of conversation was enough to convert this seeking man so that he would be saved. And really, what a great picture is verse 33, that Paul and Silas had wounds on their back. They needed care. So somehow they're just thrown right into the prison without any bandages or anything. They had open wounds on their backs. And uh, the jailer washed their wounds. And then... The jailer had sins that needed care. And so Paul and Silas then baptized the jailer and those in his family who believed in Jesus. And not that the baptism washed away their sins, but the baptism was symbolic about their sins being washed away through faith. And again, that's the importance of baptism, right? It's an act of faith, declaring allegiance to Jesus, symbolizing your cleansing of sin. And that baptism then was followed up with some fellowship. In verse 34, they brought them up to his house. Maybe he lived on the second floor. And they set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so like Lydia, right? Remember when she was saved? She asked Paul and his friends to come, right? If you judge me worthy, come and stay with me. Come to be at my house. And likewise, this jailer, indebted to these men, brought them up to his house, served them a dinner, celebrated with them, even halfway through the night. How many of you ever had dinner at like two or three in the morning? right you have is that right two or three in the morning i remember the last the latest dinner we ever had we had a, a foreign exchange student from rockford he's from zambia and his parents not zambia from help oh, tanzania. tanzania he's from tanzania and his parents were coming and there's just only this one window in which they could come and they arrived at our house about 10 30 at night something like that and we had dinner for them at 10 30 because it was so special that this man we poured uh, some of our life into that we get to meet his parents and so they, they came over, and it was, it was late that night, but it was important. And I think similarly here, this, this jailer, right, it was important that they eat together, even at 2 or 3 in the morning, perhaps, that they might eat together with the whole family. But the reality probably is that Paul and Silas hadn't anything to eat from the day before. They were dragged in the courts, beaten, thrown into jail. Right? The jails back then weren't like, oh, did you miss your dinner? Oh, I'm sorry. Here, we'll order some McDonald's for you and bring it to you. It doesn't happen like that. They were certainly hungry. He saw a need. He desired some fellowship. And so they came. So stepping back just here a little bit, we, we see one seeking salvation and finding God experiencing forgiveness. Now, he, he wasn't seeking for long. Perhaps even that night was the first stirrings in his heart. Perhaps he heard these guys singing. Maybe that was a stirring. Perhaps maybe when he saw this uh, disruption around Philippi, maybe that was his stirring. But at any place, he was. He was seeking salvation. And he found it in Jesus. So if that's you this morning, if you're seeking salvation, 
You can find your rest in Jesus by believing in the Lord Jesus. Well, let's look at our third type of person. We've seen the saved. We've seen the seeking and the jailer. Saved, that's Paul and Silas. The seeking is a jailer. And finally, I'm just calling it the the self-preserving. I mean, that's what I'm calling these officials who knew they were in trouble. But rather than seeking the Lord like this uh, jailer did, they, they sought their own good. Uh, these, like most people today, right? They're, they're mostly self-preserving. They're all not interested in spiritual things. In fact, not only are they not interested in spiritual things, they're just interested in preserving their lives and their livelihood. That's why the vast majority of people who are saved are often saved young, right? Because when someone's old and you know, life has gone well for them for 50, 60 years, and they're on their retirement now, things are okay with them, right? They just want to keep the status quo. And so likewise with these men, they just want to keep their, their livelihood. Look at verse 35. But when it was day, okay, so there's the second time marker. The first time marker is about midnight, verse 25. Now, when it's day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come on now and go in peace. Right? Good news, right? Paul and Silas free to leave as if nothing happened, right? Nothing happened, right? You're free to go, but something happened. And Paul knew it, and he wasn't going to go so easily. Look at verse 37. Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Paul knew that he and Silas had been wronged and that things needed to be made right. So even though maybe he didn't complain, he didn't back away from justice either. But he allowed justice to to bring its course. And he wanted the city officials to know, I think, that in many ways, treat Christians with respect, right? Be fair to them. Paul's actions, I think, would probably help future believers in Philippi to be accepted by the Romans as he demanded that they deal with him in a right way. You can't just trample over people, right? There, there are rights, but he dealt with them appropriately. Well, we see in verse 38, the police report these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. They, they were afraid, why? Because their jobs were at jeopardy. And these people were self-preserving. So what, what they did is they, they um, were just willing to satisfy Paul's conditions. So they walked Paul and Silas out of prison. And, and they brought them out with an apology. And they asked them to leave the city. And uh, we don't see this here at the end of verse 39. But I think probably they asked them to leave the city politely. Please leave. You've been such fine guests here. We'd love to, we'd love to have you again. We will treat you well. Tell us next time you're in town. Come and visit the city hall. Right? Maybe dinner's on. Here's a coupon. Right? You have dinner for us. Right? Just, just preserving them, helping them. Because they knew that if, if news, what they had done, reached their supervisors, they well may be thrown in prison because Roman law protected Roman citizens from public beatings, imprisonment, and death without trial. So they're just saving their faith and willing to satisfy Paul's condition. They brought him out with an apology, asked them to leave. And I trust you see how self-preserving these, these people were. They weren't interested in spiritual things. They only wanted to keep their jobs. It's also interesting here how much time Paul, or we see Paul really spending with these people uh, talking about spiritual things. 
He simply just left town. He recognized where they were. And as, as you just recognize people, right? You want to be looking for those who are seeking rather than those who are self-preserving. With those who are self-preserving, he just walked in integrity is all he did. But before he left, we see in verse 40 that he's spending time with the disciples. Verse 40. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They went to the home which they had gone before. And I'm sure what a precious time this must have been with Lydia and her household. Maybe the slave girl was there. Maybe other converts from Philippi were there. Maybe they told the story of God's deliverance. Maybe they, they thought about Lamentations three twenty three, like we sang. Great is thy faithfulness. Right? Your steadfast love endures forever. Um, the faithfulness of God is new every morning. His mercy is new every morning. Lamentations 3. Maybe they, they told him of the song of deliverance. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And maybe they told them, right? Remember, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Like he told the churches in southern Galatia. At any rate, there was some time there just strengthening the brothers because Paul was ultimately concerned with the church, this budding church in Philippi that would later actually support him twice as he went to the next town, that is Thessalonica, which we'll look at next week.